Inside the Bearcats podcast. I'm Paul Daner Jr. and I'm here to take you behind the curtain of UC Athletics where we'll discuss all the topics that UCU care about and quite a few that you really don't care about. All right, let's go. Eight seconds to go. SK dribbles into the front court. Joe Patrick pulls up from three. His shot. Good! 2.5 to go. Joe Patrick buries one. Green out to Abernathy, looking for a block. He's got it. Down to the 10, the 5, touchdown, Bearcats! All right, and welcome to the latest edition of the Inside the Bearcats podcast. I, of course, am Paul Daner Jr., and uh, today we've hit the road. We are in studio here at the Clear Channel Studios, multi-use ESPN uh, 1530, 700 W, you, you name it. Really, whatever mode. Do you want me to, want me to name all day. the radio stations? No. No? No, I okay. really don't. There's okay. quite a few in here. Seven of them, yeah. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll avoid that. That's okay. the voice of uh, Mo Egger, who you may know as the play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bearcats. <laughs> three-time. The backup to the backup. The backup to the backup, three-time play-by-play yeah. voice. Of course, uh, most of you, if you listen to Cincinnati sports, are familiar. You know, this week uh, I, I wrote in a blog. Mo, that uh, someone had called me a, a relentless optimist, and uh, you know I felt a little bad about it afterwards. The way I portrayed, it. maybe I maybe I was a little mean to the guy who, who said it to me on Twitter. Who actually is a really good guy. You've you've never been called that before. Relentless optimist. Relentless optimist. Has anybody ever called you a relentless optimist? I've been before? called relentless. Yeah, a relentless lot of things, but I don't think optimist is. Is among those. Have you ever had any, anybody call you something that kind of surprises you? I, I that, that's I was like, oh, I never thought of myself that way. Even though maybe a lot of stuff I do say does tend to be on the sunnier side of the street. Yeah. Uh, do you ever have anybody call you something and you're like, huh? I never really thought of you myself know, that way. Somebody told me not too long ago. They're like, you know, I I like your show because you know, among everybody, you're the voice of reason. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, wow. I'm like you clearly have me confused. With somebody else. Uh, I've been called a lot of things, yeah. many of them not good. Voice of reason has normally not been, and it was by somebody I didn't know. I have no idea who this person was. Like, I like your show. You're the voice of reason. Wow. Oh. Well, even that reason is in there, I guess, is a good start. I sure, mean, yeah. Do, I, I would take that. <laughs> yeah, so it's been, uh, uh, you, you've had, last week you were in Vegas for a little bit, right? Oh, Vegas trip, some, yeah. Now, he, now uh, you know, all disclaimers, we obviously can't talk about things like gambling and drinking <laughs> or any other vices. Well, then why are we so going to talk about do, Vegas? Do you have any Vegas stories that would fit into that realm, or should we just move forward? I had a great breakfast one day. Yeah, Denny's? Uh, no, I, I splurged breakfast at the Bellagio. Breakfast at the Bellagio? Yeah. Wow, which how is, is breakfast? I imagine there's still leftovers from the night before over, that you see. That's overpriced. See, yeah. you got to go during that buffer time. I, I actually learned this mm. on a UC basketball trip to Vegas many, many years ago. Yeah. Where you know I had I had been to the Bellagio, like walked through it, but a little rich for my blood. But somebody had told me, dude, go get your breakfast guy. Go get the breakfast buffet at the Bellagio because you can go to Vegas and get a lot of buffets, and most of them are pretty bad. But the Bellagio is high end, so I went. Neither Dan Hort or Chuck Mayshock wanted to go because it was too early. I went, waited in line, and I went like at ten thirty, end of breakfast, right when lunch starts being served. Two for the price of one, basically. Wow. So every time I've gone to Vegas since, I got a pancake station. Yeah. Like most buffets have omelet station. Pancake station's pretty special. That is pretty special. So I did that. Now how now how are you all Oh, and we met Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was yes. at the Bellagio. No, breakfast. he was at another establishment that I guess I'm not allowed to talk about what I was doing there. No, you're not. 
and literally sitting at the table next to us. Now, it was in Caesars, which is a hotel that also has some gaming. Yeah. And across the way, there's the store where Pete Rose is always signing autographs. Sure. Dennis Rodman was appearing. I guess after his stint, he decided to sit down and have a uh, a cocktail. Was this in Was this in Dennis Rodman crazy time mode where he was always wearing the hats and the no? And all in the, he had in on the- a pair of sweatpants and a button down shirt and a, a hat and and some sunglasses. I wouldn't what, wouldn't know what to do with Dennis Rodman if he was just regular guy. So he's sitting with these three dudes uh-huh. and my buddy and I. This place is pretty small. We sit at the table next to him, and he goes, dude, Rodman. And I'm like, one of us has to say something. And we're like, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. You, you do it. That's a basketball Hall of Famer, right? Sure. So after like 15 or 20 minutes, he stands up and says like goodbye to his crew and then says to all of them, hey, really great meeting you guys. Which means he walked in, didn't know anybody, and just sat down with these three guys. <laughs> Meaning if we gotten there a little bit earlier, we could have hung out with Dennis Rodman. But you didn't. So my friend is like, screw it, I'm going up. So he goes up and says very sheepishly, you were one of my favorite players as a kid, and Dennis Rodman kind of blew him off. But you got to go in. You got to go in. You got to go strong. stronger than that. You got to come in strong. You got to come in with a story. You got to come in with an attitude. You yeah. can't just. It's, yeah, you it's like asking the girl players. out. You right. can't just say, "Would you uh, yeah. maybe want to?" Uh, no, you no. You got to come in there strong. Like, with I, and I, I told him, like, this guy's not a huge basketball fan. I'm like, dude, if you were going to go and approach from the basketball standpoint. As a basketball nerd, I could have given you so many different things to talk about. Right. How he should have been the MVP of the 96 Finals. The way he held Kevin McHale in check, 88 Eastern Conference Finals. A ton of different things. I could have talked about his book. I mean, I, there's so much material I could have given him, and that's all he went with. That's all he went with. And at the end of the day, you all leave disappointed. But it's, but that's what Vegas is. Exactly. That's I mean, usually really what happens kinda, in Vegas. It kind of fits the whole stereotype. <laughs> yes. you, know, so when you talk about two-for-ones. I actually, at one point in time, I was having a, I had a big lunch meeting playing with this guy who worked in my office. And he was, he was fat. I mean, I, I mean, I, he was really, he was a bit really older, bigger guy. Right. He had a taste. It was no debate why we were hitting up the buffet at this local, at this local joint. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he said, can you meet at 1030 AM? And I thought, well, yeah, I can. It's yeah. kind of a weird time uh, for a buffet, <laughs> but all right, I'll meet there. So we get there. He's already there. And he's got the breakfast buffet, which ended right at 10.30, sitting in front of him. Ooh. The lunch buffet starts at 11, two for one straight. I mean, he plans his even his work meetings around getting two for one That's my buffets. kind of guy. That's my kind of guy. I, I was honestly impressed. And I refuse to eat at buffets otherwise. Like, you will never get me at a China buffet. You yeah. will never get me at a buffet aside from... The Bellagio. Yeah. And and trust me, there ain't nothing else I can afford to do at the Bellagio. Yeah. You know? I ain't playing at the one hundred dollar minimum. Oh, we're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah, no. I'm no. not do I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. B- Bellagio's uh, breakfast buffet only. Yes. Well, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Vegas is a great place where everyone comes away feeling worse than they did when they went there. Correct. And that's and that's why you go. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I couldn't wait to come back. Yes. Uh well so well let's let's talk a little bit about basketball since people have probably either stopped listening at this point no. or fast forwarded. I'll just tell everybody on the blog, listen, just fast forward past our ramblings. For that's about the five yeah. six minute mark, uh, so here we are. Now we're going to talk about basketball. Um, we're at uh, UC, an interesting point in the season, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, I want to start by playing a clip uh, that something that Mick Cronin was talking about the other day about his team and him being comfortable in this situation where everybody now is starting to doubt them. Um, like I, I, I told him, this is we're, we're used to being in this spot. 
I'm used to everybody. I'm used to people second guessing me as the coach at Cincinnati, and I'm used to people um, bagging it on our team and national people thinking we're not any good. So we're right back to where we're comfortable. So Mo, we heard Mick talking about being comfortable in this situation. You know, they've been here before. They still seem to play their best with the back against the wall. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Do you buy? I guess. Do you buy that? Do you? You almost have to create that us against the world mentality, I think, especially with college kids. Is that is that a key? Is that a more comfortable area? You think that can really have a real effect? I, I think if you look at the last two years, they've done their best work when people started to doubt them. Like if you looked at the team two years ago, they it, 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 people started to count them out after they lost. I think to St. John's, mm-hmm. and they won in a roll after that. Made the NCAA tournament, won a game. You know, last year, some of the same questions we're having about them offensively have been repeated this season. And it seems like last year, especially after what happened against Xavier, when people were starting to to really wonder about the direction of the team, you know, if, if this team had scheduled too lightly, it seemed like they were, you know, really able to rally right around this time of year. And we know how last season ended. I, I think the level, you know, I said this on the radio show, I think where I am as a fan Okay, there's being totally unmoved by three losses in four games, and then there's total panic. Yeah, I'm right in the middle. Yeah, there's clear concerns, but you know, it, it, number one, this is still this team still has an elite level Big East player in Sean Kilpatrick who's going through a slump, mm-hmm. and that's going to happen. And their blueprint the last two years has been win with defense. They're still very good defensively. Right. Um, there's some things they can shore up. They have that to hang their hats on now. You know, look, the schedule's going to get really, really difficult. You know, we, we all know in front of them what they have in, in the Big East. But I, I just I, – I can't help but feel like – you know, you said they've been there before. They've been here before with this bunch of guys, and they still do some things very, very well. Yeah. And i got to figure out ways to score in the half court. Right, right. obviously. Any – even a relentless optimist, I think, would, would, <laughs> would, 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 would admit that. But – you know, this to me isn't worth going off the deep end over. Yeah, it, you also can't ignore it. No, and I don't think I don't think it's being ignored. But you know, you mentioned it. I mean, this team this team has been buried by everyone later than this. Oh yeah. I mean, e- each of the last two years, two seasons ago was February twentieth. Absolutely, February thirteenth yep. last year, I believe, was the date. I mean, when you were they had lost three in a row, and, mm-hmm. and pe- we we started. I remember having a podcast with Mike DeCourcy, and we were counting down the last six to eight games, figuring out how many of these do they have to win just to get in the tournament. Right. And they ended up having that hot run at the end of the year, and and you know that's all history. I, and I, I don't think that this team can't do that. Mm-hmm. Really, as all the pieces to me are still in place outside of <laughs> scoring the basketball more right. often. But, but I feel like this is a team that came into the season thinking, and maybe you disagree with this, that tempo and pushing the basketball in this new fast run aspect was going to be what would catapult them offensively to the next level. And I think they've found, as team have scouted for that, that they haven't been able to do that as effectively mm-hmm. as they've wanted to. We haven't seen that pace pushed as much and so they've had to find other ways as teams scheme against that to to be more effective in the half court and and I think you started to see it even in that Notre Dame game which is what I wrote about which was the passing was so much better and 
You saw on the other side what passing can do. Crisp. What great Clinical. passing can do. Clinical. Where you're at a point where you are can get open shots every time because of the way you move the ball. And you see if they no one's expecting to be Notre Dame, but if they can move more, move move the needle more in that direction, that can be the difference between good offense and above and and better offense, which is all they really need when you have elite defense. Yeah. You know, quickly getting back to to being here before, and then we'll we'll talk about that. I remember after they lost to Rutgers, which I think was in the last weekend of January last year, mm-hmm. end of a three game losing streak. Remember they had gone to West Virginia and lost. They played Syracuse and lost. I remember the Monday after. I mean, it was it was three hours of you know everybody who wanted to fire Mick and blow up the program, and I mean it was. And this team went on a run. I think it won five of its next six. And we know how the season ended. This coach has done a lot of things really well, but one of them has been to rally when it seems like the walls are starting to cave in. And I give him credit for that. And look, it's it's largely the same group of of guys. Getting to to what the tempo was going to be, I think you were you were insane if you thought that the way they were playing in early November or early December, mid-November, early December, was was going to transfer to Big East play. It simply wasn't. It just you're not going to be able to run up and down like that. Yeah. Look, it, it, it's an oversimplification. Sean Kilpatrick's going to take a lot of shots, no matter the pace they're playing. Yeah. If they're falling, they look pretty good. If they're not falling, they got to get somebody else. I, I tell you, the guy I tweeted this during the game on uh, on Monday against Notre Dame. To me, the guy with the most unique skill set on the team is Shaq Thomas. Long, lengthy, Absolutely. willing to put the ball on the floor, very, very raw, but. To me, he can be sort of the elixir. Now, can he finish plays? Can you really put him on the floor 25, 28 minutes against good teams? We'll find out. But I I think with him specifically, if you're looking at individuals, look, we know Kashmir Wright's going to take some shots that are big, and he's going to make a lot of them, and he ultimately is going to be the engine. I think we know the role of guys like Jaquan Parker. We know the limitations of the big guys. To me, the guy we don't know that much about, but is very, very encouraging, is Shaq Thomas. Yeah, and he can play in the in the in the you know he can run up and down the floor. He can play in the half court. I think. I think he's starting to get it defensively. Yeah. If you can maximize what he does offensively, in addition to maybe spacing better the way Notre Dame did, Mick even talked about that before the game. Or, or passing, you're not going to throw it around the way Notre Dame did. That is, yeah. I don't know that anybody in the country can can pass it that way. Right. But. Add that element to all those things you sort of want to emulate from Notre Dame, you got a chance to be a little bit better. Yeah, you're right. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Shaq Thomas. That was going to be my next stop here because he had 24 minutes uh, in the game the other night, mm-hmm. uh, you know, far and away a high for him, um, at least in any sort of relevant game. And, uh, you know, I think it, Mick, it, was, it was Mick saying to Shaq Thomas, I, I, I want to see in a big game yeah. what you have. And I felt. Mick Mick took that approach to the Notre Dame game as a whole. I mean, there was one point where it was Shaq Thomas, Jermaine Sanders, Jelon Gwynn, David Nyarsik, and then with Jaquan Parker yeah, out. Not there. your best offensive lineup. Not your best, but it, <laughs> but it was and it was a key moment. It yeah. was when they had just pulled about even, or they had, and that group took them over the top to their lone lead there, and it was him saying, "I gotta know what I've got in big moments out of these guys." Because we know what we have from everybody else, and he's got to. He knows he has to find somebody else that can be another guy to come in. And Shaq mm-hmm. Thomas, I thought the way he played was the most underrated line. He had no turnovers. He had a few points. He had a block. He had rebounds, a steal. I mean, he did the little things 
that you need a guy to do, and he does. He adds a different element, and when he when he does finish and he seems to be getting more comfortable with being himself, boy, it's it's smooth and yeah. and it looks easy. Um, now the other times it doesn't look as easy, right, uh, right? But I think that's part of the maturation process. And Mix talked about Shaq Thomas quite a bit about he just needs to be comfortable and not thinking, having to think as much about where do I need to be because he's a real conscientious guy wants to do the right thing. When he starts not thinking, start being his talent. I think you've seen those flashes. Yeah, I, I think the other guy, the other guy I just like to see a little bit more from is is Titus Rubles. Yeah. Because he's, you know, in a similar way, he's one of the only guys who maybe can't create his own offense, but can create offense for other guys. And you saw in in the pit game, there were a couple of key moments down the stretch where Narsik gets buckets because Rubles puts Creative. the ball on the floor, gets the ball into the paint, draws help, gives the ball to Narsik, gives the ball to Mudge, and they finish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Titus shouldn't be shooting threes. No, you know now the one was a heave at the end of the game, but he shot two against Notre Dame. I know he made one against St. John's, but to me, there's a guy who, if he if he simply adheres to what he does well, you know, and, and I and which I think it, yeah. th- there are there are some things he does very well. This offense changes, yeah, um, because you know, look, the, the, whether it's Sheck, whether it's uh, Narsik, whether it's Justin Jackson, all those guys need somebody to create for him. You're not going to throw it to him in the low block. By the way, these guys make you appreciate Yancey Gates. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, they, they really do. You're not going to throw the ball to, to, to Big Dave in the low block and let him go to work. You know? Yeah. Justin Jackson's not a low post technician. Guys are going to have to create for them. Titus Rubles can do that. Yeah. Clearly, we know uh, Cash can do that. I think even, you know, Shaq Thomas, if he gets more minutes, can do that. But I think Titus is just because he's going to play a lot of minutes. He yeah. is. I mean, on a given night, he's going to play at least 20. Those have to be a better, on the offensive end, a better 20 than what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, one for nine the other night, and, and that's that's tough. It, the, the problem, I think the thing that, that Mix is preaching with him, and I think it's pretty obvious to most, is just being more under control when he gets in there. We see a lot of times where he gets in there and it'll, it'll be a fall over or, or a bad shot or yeah. or if the, if it doesn't draw the obvious dish – uh, you know, then then just something bad tends to happen. That's or, why I like them starting. Up. That's why I like them starting. Them. Yeah, get that out of the way. You know, right? Get- you know, it's because he's been coming off the bench, yeah. and then you know th- there are certain guys who are suited to that role. I think that I think that's Justin Jackson's role to a T. Mm-hmm. Come off the bench, be the energy guy. With with Titus, you know, I mean, start him. Maybe you get that out of the way, or he finds it easier to get himself in the flow of the game. You know, he wasn't great when he started the other night, so we'll see if he starts against Rutgers, but. I just think that guy's so important because yeah. he can do things and has a body that other guys don't have. Yeah, he does. And, and this team, this team obviously needs more in the way of offense right now. And, and that was, I think, that was a big reason behind Tyus Rubles. The other reason was Justin Jackson not playing the other night. And I think we see, this tends to happen every year with some somebody at this point in the season. Yeah, where you get into this part of the grind and it just yeah. wears on these kids. And when and when they're not giving their effort, Mick is just not going to have it. You know, and I think that's clearly what happened the other night. Mick said, "You wave. We have a couple rules in this team. You got to give, have a great attitude. You got to have great effort." I'm not going to talk anymore about that. That's all you really need to know. Yeah. Uh, so clearly, just a doghouse situation for Justin Jackson, who's had a bad run of a couple, two, three, four games. Yeah. As far as really giving what, if Justin Jackson isn't giving you energy, he's not. What are you getting? Yeah. Is the question. I think that's what Mick probably is saying, Justin. That and, and no one should take their role for granted. This, I mean, this technique, while Justin Jackson maybe ends up being taking the brunt of it, 
is a message to the whole team. Mm-hmm. No spot is guaranteed. I right. don't care if you've started every game. I don't care who you are. If you don't have follow those two rules, you're not going to play. It doesn't matter who you are. I think it's a – while you don't ever want to see a guy have it, I think it's a good message to send. That sure. If you have to do it in a game against Notre Dame in January, that's a great time to do and it. And it's a little bit easier to send when you have other options. I mean, you know, let's face it, we've seen other Bearcat teams where maybe you wanted to put a guy on the bench. But Mick would be the first to admit this. There just wasn't a viable option behind him. Right. You know, you mentioned the stage in the season we're in. I was thinking about this uh, the other day. The, the the UC season, you and I are sitting here on the ninth. It's almost two months old. Yeah. I mean, the Big East tournament is still more than two months away. We are in the dog days, man. Yeah. And the college basketball season begins earlier and earlier every year. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that you didn't play till maybe the week of Thanksgiving, maybe the week after Thanksgiving, around the 25th of November. This team started on November the 11th. The rules changed. The academic year changed. So they started practicing earlier. They've been doing a lot more together. I've got to think, not just for this team, it's a little bit more challenging for coaches when you get to this stage of the season because, you know, in anything, you just get to the point where you're too far away from the beginning and you're too far away from the end. And I think that's impacting us as fans. You know, how many times do you get asked, what do you think UC seed is going to be? Like, I, I, I couldn't begin to tell you. I, they're one and two in the conference. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't begin to tell you, and right now I don't care. I want them to figure out ways to score. Yeah. But it just it feels like the season's been going forever, and so we're sort of conditioned, I think, to think we're close to the end. Right, we're close to the end. Yeah. And this that team was has 15 par- games in front of it. And this plays into the argument of what has gone on the last few years with the scheduling, where Mick liked to have the easier schedule mm-hmm. early on. So you, you kind of you focus on working on things. It feels like more of a preseason. You get, and this feels like the beginning more than the middle. Right. Now, I'm not saying UC's schedule was the toughest, but they had five to six test games mm-hmm. in their non-conference that, that felt important at the time mm-hmm. and, and, and will become seeding time. I mean, but... You know, it it makes this even more of a grinder now, and I think that was part of Mick's old argument back in the day was with this Big East schedule, it's tough because it really wears on kids, and this is the time where you see that. And you'll see it again when you get to the end. It wears on you at the very end. I mean, when you get into these dog days, that's when having a little bit tougher schedule does tend to – and tend to wear on you when you had to when you went through it. You had to hit a buzzer beater against Alabama, and mm-hmm. you grinded out a game against New Mexico for a tough loss, and and all these other games that you had. I mean, you, you go to Vegas for that tournament; it, it 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 wears on you a lot. You schedule with intent. The intent is when you schedule an Iowa State, who by the way is ten and three, mm-hmm. that they're going to be a, a, an NCAA tournament team, which they were last year. You schedule. The, the, the whole thing in Vegas where they played Oregon, I think maybe thought they, they had a really good chance to play UNLV. By the way, Oregon, I think, is 12-2. and two. Yeah, Oregon's having a good season. They're, have, they're good. Mm-hmm. You schedule with the intention that teams are going to be really good. At the beginning of the se- season, the Xavier game always looks like it's going to be really tough. Well, for, for reasons sort of out of the basketball program's control and sort of within the basketball program's control, Xavier's not very good this year. Not to the, the level that we're used to. Yep. Um, you schedule with the intent of New Mexico, who's been an NCAA tournament team the last couple of years and will be one this year, they're going to be formidable. You schedule Alabama, who is, you know, frankly not that great this year. Uh, a Thought record, they would be at the a time. Record, right, the intention is, okay, those guys are going to – you can't control what those seasons are going to be. But at the, at the outset of the season, I looked at that schedule and thought, okay, number one, there's going to be buy games. Everybody has them. This program's going to have them. It's part of the deal. They've had them the last two years. And – the philosophy worked. 
they worked toward molding this team toward what it became in February and March. So I looked at the beginning of, this, of the season and saw the, the, the Vegas deal. I saw New Mexico, knowing what they've been the last few years. You schedule, you know, Xavier's on the schedule every year, but you think you have a sense of that's going to be a tough game. Um, you know, the Alabama, it's a team from the SEC. I don't know what more you want. Yeah. You know, I, I, I there are going to be UC fans who don't want to hear this. CBS is not knocking down their door to partner them with Michigan State, Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, and Kansas. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be awesome. It would yeah. be fantastic. The Alabama thing, look, that's a Big East SEC deal. Would we have rather played Kentucky? Absolutely. Of, which was the, the speculation back in, in April and May? Of yeah. course, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It's kind of out of your control. I just think we make too much of it. Now, some have said, well, that's not going to be an excuse with what's happening with the Big East moving forward. But that's moving forward. This year, this look year, at the Big East. The Big East is real. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, would you have wanted them to schedule tougher than they did? Chances are the record wouldn't be as, be as good as it is right now. And I'm not sure it would alleviate the problems that this team really has. Yeah, and I don't know. To me, in non-conference, all you're looking for – are enough test games to get you ready, and the rest you play for practice. Right. I don't care. The, what kills you see as far as when people throw the, the stupid RPI numbers out there at me and all that crap. I mean, the key is you have these games against the the cupcake teams, and they're they're not they're not the bot. They're not two fifty to three hundred. Right. A lot of them tend to be three hundred to three forty five. Right. right. And, and that really drags you down. But you have just as many games where you're tested as any of the major teams do, because everybody plays their fair share of cupcakes, like you said. And I, you know, I, you know, the, we've 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 moved past that, and I I refuse to go deeper into the scheduling debate with anybody. I'm I'm done with it, and and I, I don't want to talk about it anymore well, because I'm just I, you know we do hear a lot about it. we sure. do hear a lot of it, and I just I don't get it because there have been great home games, great test games, and now you have a slate in front of you of really good games. Sure, all at fifth third, and and in fairness, in fairness, attendance is up. Attendance is up mm-hmm. qu- is up quite a bit. I think it's around twenty five percent. It's up this year. Yeah, um, and, and those early cupcake type games were up about a thousand to fifteen hundred, even in the seats per game. The fans have responded mm-hmm. uh, in, in a lot of ways, but there's there's no reason to talk about the schedule anymore. Well, but but let know? me let me look. Their first four games were were by games. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Then they went to Vegas and played Alabama, three named teams in a row. Then right before exams, they played two more cupcakes, okay? Which teams often, everybody, around exams is going to do that. Since the Marshall game, which was on the 15th of, of December, they've played a team from Conference USA, a good Atlantic 10 program, um, Wright State. Look, Wright, Wright State's a good team Wright, for their Wright, level. Wright Absolutely. State's a, a good team for their level. They're a local school. Everybody wants them to play people locally. They're not North Carolina A&T and Mississippi Valley State. And since then... It's been name opponents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes, there were a bunch of them early, but to me, they're well in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Well in the rearview mirror. And now you look at what's in, in front of them. I think I think the Big East schedule presents really the perfect blend of winnable games and very challenging opportunities. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I want to run through the schedule coming up here for UC because uh, you know, that was it was a that's a tough little start that they had. I mean, uh, you know, I think with Pitt Going to Pitt, playing Notre Dame team that's just on fire right now. Uh, those are a couple of tough games. But here's you know here's you got nine games coming up. Okay, you play Rutgers twice. Rutgers a good place. No one wants to go to the rack, right. but it's still Rutgers. 
uh, at the end of the day. It's a game that you feel like you should win. You have the, you go to DePaul, Seton Hall, and Providence. Mm-hmm. Big East Row games are tough, but all three of those you will be you should be favored in. Right. You have Pitt here. You've already beaten Pitt. Now you have them in your house. Mm-hmm. Villanova, who is just not very good this year. Right. And then you have games home against Marquette and at Syracuse. Two of nine. That that I would consider in the realm that you wouldn't be favored in that are that are very challenging games. This is a great chance for this team to get it together and make a run. And in my opinion, if they play like they did against Notre Dame, which I thought they played very well against a team that was just better that night, mm-hmm. they would. I think they would at least go seven and two if they play like that. Yeah, uh, you know, if they have an efficient offense and continue to play that type of defense. Now in the Big East. You don't really know. Game to game, crazy stuff sure, happens. Sure. But at the end of the day, you know you have a chance to really make a run. And if that were to happen, let's say they did go seven and two, they'd be sitting here at eight and four in the conference. Yeah. Is anybody not taking that? Does anybody not look at UC saying, "Oh, they're right about where we thought they would be." Yeah. Right there at eight and four, right where they were last year, right in position and with a tougher non-conference. All you people that want to know the seeds, if you go along <laughs> that way, I mean, you're talking, you're talking a top five, top five seed. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's, it's not. We haven't learned anything yet. You know, with the exception of St. John's, which I would right now quantify as a bad loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I know they're 9-5. and five. St. John's is a team you should beat in your own building. But look back to last year. We thought that what was going to hover over their entire season was Presbyterian and Marshall. You know, losses at home early in the season, bad losses. I think there's a really good chance – that the only bad loss they're going to have is St. John's. New Mexico is not going to be a bad loss. No. Notre Dame is certainly not going to be a bad loss. I mean, that, that legitimately might be Mike Bray's best team that he's had at Notre Dame. Um, and so, you know, the, the St. John's loss, is it going to look bad in March? Probably might. It might be their worst loss. But, you know, it's, I think it's weighted differently when it's a conference game. Yeah. It, I mean, at the end of the day, they're gonna, you're going to look at it as a whole – and there's, I mean, there's still plenty of opportunities to have losses that you could look at as bad mm-hmm. losses. I mean, when you have to go on the road to DePaul, Seton Hall, and Providence, I mean, going in another team's building in the Big East, sure, never easy. you can you can take one. I mean, there's there's plenty of time to talk about that. But you're right. I mean, there to to for anybody to, for anybody to be on that on the ledge at this point is just. No, you don't want to lose three straight home games. Absolutely not. Do you want the offense to be better? Yes, they're working on it. There's plenty of time, and and you know it's 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 all it's all in front of them. A, a schedule that's very winnable is just sitting right in front of you. Yeah, look, this team still. I know I know Notre Dame at at certain certain stages in the game picked them apart defensively. Notre Dame's really really good, but this team has won the last two years because they defend to an elite level. They defend this year team this year's team rebounds better than anybody we've seen the last two seasons. They're good on the glass, as, as limited as their big guys might be. They get the ball off the off the backboard. And Jaquan Parker, being as undersized as he is, is is one of the best small rebounders in the country. So they rebound the ball well. They've got a def- defensive pedigree with a bunch of guys who know that's how they win games. Would we like to see them run up and down the floor more? Of course. And and hopefully we get back to that a little bit more than we've seen the last four games, but at the end of the year, if this team is where they were last year, if they have a chance to win a couple of games in March, if they have a chance to have the special season that Mick Cronin talked about, it's going to be because they stop people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in early November, I remember saying, yes, it's great that they want to score more and maybe be a little bit more watchable, but 
it can't come at the expense of what they do defensively. And despite what's happened these last three games, it hasn't. Look, New Mexico scored 55 points. That's a good team. Mm-hmm. New Mexico scored 55 points. It's not like St. John's picked them apart to, uh, offensively. Um, and uh, look, Notre Dame, for all their offensive efficiency, didn't break 70. They were, they, were, they were 12 points shy of their season average. Right. This team will win a lot of games because they stop people. Will they lose games because they can't score? Well, yeah, it's already happened. Yeah. But I'm willing to bet that they win more because they stop people than they lose because they couldn't score. You're you're probably right. But, you know, and you talked about being more watchful, being different. And I think the thought was this team would have more offensive firepower. and what, Or to get back to where you were at the end of last year was when, like you mentioned, Yancey Gates became another guy that provides scoring on what was a perimeter-oriented offense at mm-hmm. that point. When he elevated it and gave that other option, that's when everything changed. The question, and I think why you saw the lineups you did, why you saw more minutes for Shaq Thomas, et cetera, et cetera, was Mix just finding who's going to be that guy. He's saying to everybody else on that team, all the 11 guys that have been playing some minutes, mm-hmm. who's going to be the guy? Yeah. That's going to step up and be the other guy. We know who our big three are. We know what they can do. For us to take it to the next level, we need another guy offensively who can provide us something. Who's it going to be? I feel like that's where they're at right now. Yeah. And, and it's just a matter of searching. And and you know what? There's enough good players in there. you got to think somebody's going to be But I don't, I, I don't think in it. that particular at regard, they're alone. I mean, how many teams around college basketball in early, the second week of January, can identify all their best parts yet? You know, some have maybe freshman-oriented teams where they're still trying to identify, is this a guy in late February, early March, we can have on the floor with the ball in his hands? I don't think they're alone in that regard. Look, we, we know we know what the known quantities are. Sean Kilpatrick's going to take a lot of shots. He's going to have nights, and he shot the ball well against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. actually. Going to have nights where, he, where they're not going in. That's that's true of every, any good player. We know what Kashmir Wright is. We know what Jaquan Parker is for all the experience they brought back, there's still a lot of unknown quantities. But I, I think we thought that that was going to be the case in early January. I, yeah. I, I think we thought it's going to take more than just two months to figure out what all the known quantities are. The challenge for Mick is in the next month, five, six weeks, figure out what they are. But there's a track record of doing that here. There is. There's a, a very good track record of doing that here. So uh, I'm not as, you know, getting back to what we said at the top. I'm not totally unmoved by it. Look, you lose three of, of four, three in a row at home. You don't score. It's troubling. But I don't know. It, I, what this program and team has, have done the last two years earns them a little bit benefit of the doubt. It just does. And so I think you, you have to, you know, not be totally non-concerned, but don't don't jump off the cliff either. Absolutely not. So I hope for those for those uh, you that are still here with us, I hope that you haven't jumped. Why off would the you cliff. not You've be? You. Why wouldn't you? I mean, Why this was this is this was intriguing. It's compelling. It is compelling. And if you care about UC basketball, you should be here and living off our every word. Absolutely. I mean, I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Well, see that you're just saying that. Yeah. Me, this is pretty much the only thing I'd rather do. It is. It is kind of concerning how much you love doing this. It is because we're going to get done with this today, and then I'm going to sit in this chair and talk more about you know the Bengals, right? And I don't really feel like doing that today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got many months to talk and, about, and the then we're going to break down the baseball Hall of Fame ballot. That's oh, not going to be much sound, fun. Does that sound terrible? You know gonna, what I you and I actually do want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about something that you tweeted about, and that I first thought when I saw it. Yeah. the cell phones in the dugout. That's got could there be a worse idea? Has anybody? <laughs> 
have any of these people coming up with these ideas ever been to a game? Here's all the things that here's all the things that can go wrong. Number one, can you imagine Charlie Manuel trying to use yes. an iPhone? All right, you imagine Charlie. Uh, Charlie, yeah, you got to hit on. Okay, now here's the. I mean, just how do keep, I turn it on? Yeah, I don't. Can you imagine? There's the. There's that. Okay. There is just the inherent cell phones never work consistently at Major League Baseball stadiums. Yes. Look, I, I went to like 50 Reds games last year. I maybe completed three phone calls right. and maybe got out four tweets and text messages, okay? There's the battery's got to run down. You know it's going to happen on somebody. Somebody's going to be sitting there and say, "Why didn't you bring Chapman in early in the ninth? So we were going to, but I was charging. Right. I was charging. <laughs> or remember the A-Rod deal where he's, you know, like was sending baseballs into the stands to to pick up girls in the postseason? Sure. All this is going to do is encourage more of that because got to get the digits and then guy will be on the bench texting away, Skip's looking for the phone to make a pitching change, and there's A-Rod trying to find some after-game company, you know? I mean, this just this is you're going to have people trying to get the phone numbers of the visiting phones. How does this work? Do you have to bring your own phone on the road? Does the home team supply the phone? There's a lot of things. Or in a minute by minute plan? Yeah. You run yeah. out of minutes? I think, yeah, I think it could be. I think they, you know, if, if I know what, what they're doing, I think it's definitely a minute plan. I think okay. for, for sure they're going, and the overage, when the overage costs are coming in, Bud's going to have to try and we work it. We have managers who can't fill out lineup cards successfully. Okay? Seriously. Now we're going to ask them to, within the heat of a game, successfully navigate a Samsung Galaxy X? <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's not going to work. I hope that they are have to use their own phones, you know, and they have like he has the the old flip. Oh, we and we're get, gonna have holsters. Holster, yeah. manager, manager <laughs> trudging out to the yes. to the mound wearing a holster with a little holster guy in there. Yeah, sure. I just, it, this just this is going to be a disaster. There's there's no chance this works. Maybe they can tweet their changes. Oh, that'd be great. That would be kind of that, so all fans can see who's be, coming in before it happens. Maybe yeah. I mean that would be maybe maybe we're onto something. Or here. like if you're the home team and you're supplying the visiting team phones, right? You've got the number, so now you can like send a guy. If you're Dusty Baker and you're managing against Mike Matheny, you could like give Chris Byer the phone. He ducks into the clubhouse. Like, yeah, this is uh, this is Mike Matheny. Uh, see if you can. We're, we're going to have uh, uh, David Freeze is going to pitch. Get, get, you know, or, or uh, it's not going to work. Hacking in there is definitely. I mean, I mean now it, when you pick up the the, the landline, it, it's a direct dial. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a direct dial right into the bullpen. I don't think you have to punch numbers. I don't believe. When I mean, when did it become hard to signal? Yeah, I mean, when, what, what, can't they just have a card with a number on it? They hold up. It's, if it's red, it means warm up this guy. If it's black, it means bring him in. <laughs> I mean, be, how hard is this? It can't be when did that this difficult. Become an issue. Well, or go back to the bullpens the way we had them at Synergy Field, where they were literally like ten feet from the dugout. Near like, death stick, every time they had to warm <laughs> stick up. Stick your head out and go, "Hey, we're gonna get up Broxton." All right, I mean. You know, and then you could. It was a lot easier to taunt the guys as they warmed up. Yeah, or right there it, it in front was. of you. It was they were right there. In front I was of on you. the third base, third base line at Synergy Field. That's that awesome. <laughs> this is not going to work well. Loved it. Loved. It. I, I knew. I, I wanted. I wanted to get into that because I thought. I thought that was a fantastic idea. Between that and maybe some Knicks conversation, which if we started on the Knicks, oh, I know it'd still be going. Hey, hey J.R. Smith though. J.R. Smith has been great late in game. He, he delivers. Here's the problem: that when you have players older than me. That you're counting on to do a lot, that ain't good. Ball don't lie. Ball don't lie. But I mean, you know, when you're when you're asking, you know, forty eight year old Jason Kidd to log log major minutes, now Shumpert's starting to 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 rehab. So hey, Jason Kidd does nothing but hit shots. Apparently, 
He's and, made uh, some big shots this season. I mean, I I've, I saw some games yeah. where he's he's the game winner against Brooklyn. Yeah, he just yeah. he stands there at that three point line now, and he Camps says, out. "He hey, that's see you know we, he can't we, when you know like like I was like when I would play against my dad in one on one, he gets tired. What what happens? It's three point shots right. all day, every day. It's what it, it, Jason Kidd's game has become like your dad when he gets a little worn down. He's just he's because just like, he's as old as your dad right now. Yeah. That's I mean that, that's a major that's a major issue. Well, we'll get off we'll get off the Knicks here because I don't want to want to send you uh, over the ledge. We we just kept all the UC fans from jumping yeah. off, and you're now going to consider. Oh, you're in first place. Uh, yeah, they, they lead I mean, the Atlantic. They lead the Atlantic. They just they've recently Gotta get that Atlantic title. They've. Re- <laughs> That's always always important. Uh, This stretch is important for them. They've got Indiana coming up on Thursday. The Pacers just took the heat to school. Are you going? Are you going to Indiana? You know, no, I'm not. I'd like to. I I thought you might go and take your Nixon. Ever since the 99 playoffs when I went, they are 0-6 when I go to. So you're you're taking all responsibility and you're trying to save them and get them a win. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than go and see them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Fandom right there. How about that? Plus, it's like a like a seven o'clock tip. You're like the anti Spike Lee. I am like in many ways. Yeah, I'm like the anti <laughs> anti Spike Lee. All right. Well, uh, well, Mo, uh, I'll always appreciate you uh, joining me here on the podcast. I'm sure we will come up with something to talk about regarding. I UC. hope so. I I can't imagine what we will talk about in the future, but I imagine it'll be pretty similar to this one. We can break down. Let's hope uh, we're talking about how how great the offense has been next. Yeah, and then this. really get into the nuts and bolts of signing day because I'm big signing day guy. Yeah, <laughs> aren't we all? Hey, all those four star recruits. They all they all work. Who are you going to have on during signing day? You got you got like a recruiting guy. I, I don't have a no. recruiting guy. I, I imagine I'm going to try and talk to Tommy Tuberville. Yeah. I, think, I think he would probably be a good guy. He'd be a good guy to. to get on. I, I mean, I, I don't know that who is the. I mean, do we know all the staff hasn't even filled out yet? So right. I think we're still but trying I, to. Every year, signing day is my like as a talk show host. It's my least favorite time of year. I know you got to go because you know fans will always say, "Well, you got to get the coach on," and I know you've got to have Tommy Tuberville on. You're not going to get a coach. That goes, you know, we're really disappointed with the issues. Yeah. I mean, there were just, some guys that we really should have been able to get. some of these guys, you know, so you got to have all the area coaches on. And then you'll get, like, all these emails from, like, these recruiting. Oh, it's right. Want to have this guy on from Rivals.com? He can break down the class. No. No. Absolutely not. No. I can't think of anything that would bore me or my audience more. You know, so, but, you know, oh, he's, he can, he's, how, many, how many of these players has he actually seen? Well, there's a lot of contacts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Did you just sit around and watch those YouTube highlight videos with Young Jeezy in the background? Yeah, like, is that's all he's going off of? Right. Because yes, and it's always where they play the one the one team that they play where has nobody over five foot ten or 150 pounds <laughs> yeah, and exactly. stiff arms everybody to the ground. It's like I mean, I assume it's from some exhibition against eighth graders, and they just post posted on the highlight video. So coming up, we have the uh, the Paul Daner. Signing day special signing, The signing day special. Love. Extra two hours Extra signing two day hours. special. It's going to be fantastic. We're probably not allowed to say this, but like your colleagues at GoBearCats.com, like Tommy G has to devote an entire day. Well, sure. And they do. And he does a great job. No doubt it. about it. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a great thing. But, uh, you know, going on and on and on, on a, in, a, yeah. in a format like this, I don't know would be the greatest Come to GoBearCats.com. Oh, no doubt Make about sure it. You look Tommy at, will have you Tommy covered. Tommy will have you covered. Yeah. You know the, what will not have you covered? ESPN 1530. No, no, they won't. Hey, do you think that kid from Pickwood's going to commit to the Bearcats? I don't know. Exactly. I don't even know who he is. Exactly. 
I am I am I am not allowed to talk about any recruits until they actually sign. I use that as the perfect opportunity to not talk about perfect. recruits until they actually sign. I, I am allowed to talk about recruits and I still don't because nobody knows. Yeah, nobody really knows. Yeah. And once they get here, you don't really know until you get to here anyway. You know who wasn't uh on the top running back recruit when UC signed him? Ralph David Abernathy exactly. the fourth. Yeah, he's he's turned out to be okay. He's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what happened until they get there. If you know anything from watching UC football, it's that recruiting class rankings do not translate Correct. in any way because they have the to the middle to the bottom, somewhere in there, every year in the last five, however many years, and they win ten games every and, single and, season. And, and you know, as as somebody who's you know covered the NFL, signing day then usually gives way to you know mock drafts. So oh, I know that's is not there a, anything better. That's not a go Bearcats thing, but. Well, well, the, you know, this year, Travis Kelsey. We'll do, uh, oh, we'll do our mock draft. <laughs> Kenbrell Tompkins going to the combine. So I mean, you've got there. There's always Bearcats in the draft somewhere. So we'll make sure. We'll, we'll, you just got to make sure you mock it out to like the fourth, fifth round. Okay, I, I will. We'll go a whole look for that on fifteen thirty. <laughs> <laughs> three to six, all three hours. First, the first, uh, the first hour spent on the first round. We go day two for the second hour. <sighs> day three mock. <laughs> Nobody's around anymore. Yeah. Mo, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you. Absolutely. Pleasure for being here. We'll have you back sometime soon. Awesome. See you later on the Inside the Bearcats podcast. <laughs>